How many of you are broke? Now, some of you are broke because you're students or you're trying to run a business or whatever, you know. We're, we're broke, but, you know, wouldn't it be sad if you could say, my grandfather was wealthy. You know, I can actually say my grandfather was wealthy. I don't talk about my grandfather too much. I saw my brother a couple of weeks ago, and my sister-in-law said, did you know that your grandfather gave a lecture in, uh, in Los Angeles in 1939, or 36, or whatever. It was in the mid, mid-30s. He gave a lecture where there was like 2,000 people at the lecture in a lecture hall for 500. So it was like really an interesting event, and it was protested by 700 women from the Temperance Society. <laughs> like, wow, I did not know that. I feel proud now. Uh, except for it was all about sexual liberality. You know, my grandfather was not a believer. He was a very secular-minded individual who believed in freedom of expression in all kinds of ways. Uh, and yet my grandfather was very wealthy. Very, very wealthy man. And uh, I wish I could say that I had a little of that wealth, but all I got was his United Nations uh, postage stamp collection uh, and a couple of odds and ends. Uh, when I was out in California, uh, my mother, who's just got a lot of serious issues, uh, hawked all of our family silver, and I had to go and get it at a hawk. Very odd situation, and I, I, it's not all there. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, uh, seeing the collection and then seeing what's left of it. It's like, wow, amazing how wealth just disappears to the generations. Here, I want to read something. It's called Squandering the Family Fortune, Why Rich Families Are Losing Money. This is from CNN's Money Online uh, from uh, June of 2014. Rags to riches is a familiar narrative, but when it comes to preserving family fortunes, more often it's rags to riches to rags. Nearly 60% of the time, a family's money is exhausted by the children of the person who created the wealth. According to Roy Williams, president of Wealth Consultancy, the Williams Group. In 90% of the cases, it's gone by the time the grandchildren die. It goes back to the biblical story of the prodigal son, Williams says, referring to the free-spending child who blows his father's inheritance, yet is welcome back anyway. We haven't changed in 2,000 years, and that same unprepared air issue is now worldwide. The people who created the wealth were often obsessive. Ha! That's an understatement, said Russ Prince, president of the wealth research and consulting firm, Prince and Associates. But their kids were not hungry, so the money is accumulated by that hardworking, obsessive individual slaving away, and the kids all blow it. Perhaps the most famous example is the Vanderbilt family. Cornelius the Patriarch built a fortune on railroads and shipping during the mid-1800s and adjusted for the size of the economy, he was the second richest American who ever lived. $200 billion. That's more money than Bill Gates has. Or Warren Buffett. Yet his children, and especially his grandchildren, lived lavishly, building huge mansions in New York City, Newport, Rhode Island, and elsewhere, and did little to preserve the fortune. By the 1970s, the family held a reunion with 120 members attending, and yet there wasn't a single millionaire among them. Yet, as it goes on in this article, I won't read the whole thing, it says the biggest reason people squander money is that they don't know how to handle the money. When I was a kid, my father said that he would pay me five cents an hour to do work around the house. And sometimes he forgot to pay me. 
Actually, a guy who was like a Zadie figure, a Jewish guy who was a believer in Yeshua in the, in the community, he used to pay me $2.50 an hour to work around his house. And he did legitimately forget to pay me half the time. It's not making the money it's hard. It's, it's what are you going to do with it that's hard. The, uh, the article concludes where it pretty much says that you need to have a plan for your money and one of the things you should plan to do with your money is you should make sure that a portion of it goes to charity and, and a portion of it toward future education and really what's important is the family needs to take their time to shape their attitudes about wealth. You may say, what does this have to do with the Bible? Well, the Bible talks more about money than it does about heaven and hell. You know, how we handle our money, how we appreciate our money, our perspective on our resources and our finances is critically important. This morning, the, uh, what I want to talk about is money and uh, the misuse of it. So turn with me to James chapter 5, James chapter 5 verses 1 through 7. Money is easily lost. Especially if it's invested in the wrong direction. <clears throat> They've been looking for Blackbeard's pirates, Blackbeard the pirate's money for a long time. They never find it. When I was a kid uh, in Northern California and on the west coast of California, you, you know, you would hear stories of treasure. <clears throat> of course, lost treasure is usually never found. Uh, Geraldo Rivera found Al Capone's safe, and when they opened it up on live TV, they found nothing. <laughs> At least nothing of real value. Now what is God's perspective when it comes to riches? God's perspective is for us to maintain a heavenly perspective by laying up treasure in heaven. Right? Maintaining a heavenly perspective. What's fascinating in James chapter 5 is really we see a challenge here against rich people. Rich people. And so we're going to take it apart. We're not going to take a, a ton of time on this. I want to give some principles from the text and point this towards some new covenant scriptures that coincide with this. But there's a real strong condemnation in this check. There is a condemnation of rich people. There's an assumption here that the condemnation is so harsh because these people are not believers. Not believers. Okay? But you know what? Unfortunately, I'm sure there are a few believers who will do some of the same things that are, that are condemned. But the challenge here is really toward unbelievers, people who are not following God, who are not wanting to live their lives for God, who are willfully investing their treasure in earth, in earthly interests. So it says again, James chapter 5, Come now you rich, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your clothes have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted with their rust and with their rust will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasure in the last days. Behold the wages of the workers who mowed your fields which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts for a day of slaughter. You have condemned. You have condemned. You have murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So it's pretty harsh stuff. Reminiscent of the prophetic literature. You read the prophets 
And the prophets are saying some of the same thing. James is here, of course, writing a book to the Messianic Jewish community, Jewish believers predominantly. And in this particular instance, he is pulling from the prophetic literature and challenging generally on the issue of people investing their wealth in the wrong ways. Most of the believers probably are not wealthy. Can you think, though, one example in the New Testament of a wealthy person that did something wrong with their money and got punished for it? Anybody? Hmm? Ananias and Sapphira. Feynman? <laughs> oh, Psalm, but in the New Covenant. New Covenant. Ananias and Sapphira. Rich people. And they gave. They gave. But they gave with an improper motive. And they lied about it. Lord, I love to point out God is not against there being rich believers. No, it's not that at all. I mean, I hope that God blesses. Some of you business type people, you know, go, God bless you. Make money, do well. But as we're going to see, there are principles to be careful of. And when it comes to wealth. And certainly motivation is what it is. Here, the condemnation is all related to the fact that there will be coming judgment against these people. Be aware, rich person, you will be judged. You will be judged. Now, what's it going to be judged about? There are four crimes cited in this text. Four specific crimes. The first being the hoarding of wealth in verses 2 and 3. The hoarding of wealth. Uh, and uh, you can just kind of, your riches have rotted, but it's, it, it, you, these items are mentioned. <clears throat> the riches, clothing, gold, and silver. Okay? These items that are being stored up. Uh, before there were banks and people had money, what would they do with it? They would keep it as close as they could in a safe place. Why? Because you couldn't trust a bank. I mean, three, four hundred years ago, you know, there were treasure rooms in homes and castles and important places where wealth had to be accumulated and stored. All right? Again, you know, I mean, you know, Aaron, you're not walking around with $100,000 in gold in your pocket, right? I mean, you know, you know, it's probably in stocks or it's invested into bonds or maybe real estate, right? But, uh, but we, we, you know, but back then, Wealth had to be in a different way. Yeshua tells the illustration of the wealthy farmer, the successful farmer, who, who has these huge storehouses of his grains, and he tear, he's greedy, and he tears down the old ones to build bigger ones. You know? The, the problem is greed. Farmers in those days had to store their stuff. He obviously was being greedy in what he was doing in the accumulation. The Torah says if you have a field, you don't glean to the edges so that the poor people can glean themselves and have bread to eat. This guy probably, and this is the, the sense, the insinuation, was taking every little stick of grain for himself and being greedy about it. Here in the text, it's an emphasizing of the accumulation of possessions for personal gain. Personal gain, greed, it's all for me. It's all for me. The second point is kind of really related in verse 4. And again, I'm going to have to start wearing glasses. It says it talks about the wages of workers being withheld. You know, I joke about Mr. Cragen. Honestly, I would go there and I'd work. 
And he was like, you know, back then he was 110, you know. And, and Mr. Craig and I had a great relationship. And yet he would forget to pay me. And I know it's not malice. It's just old age. But, you know, there are people, unfortunately, in business who try to cheat their employees. I was talking to a, uh, an, uh, an airline pilot uh, with a company that I'm not going to mention. Although it's very wealthy company backed by very wealthy people. And this, jet, this pilot was talking about the fact that even as their airline has become more and more, more, and more successful financially, that the, the people controlling the, air, the airline are putting pressure on their wages. Instead of sharing the success of the finances, they're trying to squeeze the pilots out of more money. That's, that's, that's greed on the part of the, of the owners as well as stinginess. Withholding payment to people, not pay, paying people really what they're due. You know, in business there are hard times. Everybody needs to share. But there's a, there is in some business, in, in some of the ways we, we interact with people even ourselves, where we're, we're not really generous. We are stingy. Maybe in your current employment situation, you're like, yeah, those guys are stingy. I should get more than I'm getting. Yeah, it's, you feel that because it's hard to live on what people can make sometimes. But then, of course, there's the pressures that we, we have. But it was an interesting example just from this two days ago where this guy, and I know the company, I'm familiar with the finances, and I'm like, wow, why are they doing this to you guys? There's just, they're just, you guys are a money machine. But in some corporate senses today, the idea of squeezing the worker for the benefit of the owners and the shareholders, God would not be pleased. In verse 5, though, we see another issue. It talks about the, the issue of, of uh, self-indulgence, the, the pursuit of luxury. How many of you like being comfortable? Nobody likes being comfortable? You all like being comfortable. You like the, the pews? Are they comfortable? No. Let's be honest. They're not. Good. Keeps you awake. All right? We all desire comfort. There's nothing wrong with comfort. But the, the situation here was the, the accusation and the condemnation is these people are pursuing luxury and self-indulgence and, and self-gratification at the expense of others for no reason. God does not expect us, to, really he doesn't care whether we're really all that comfortable or not. I don't think. God, what's the prayer? God provide our daily bread, Right? You know, some of us, our daily bread is a little bit more than other people. I tend to eat a lot. Okay. For some people, they can get by and very comfortably by on, on less than others in terms of just expectations. Every, we're all unique people. But among some of the rich, I mean, you, 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 I, mean um, I read the Wall Street Journal. and I, you know, it's a, Yesterday it was the, uh, the Friday edition, so they're going to have the real estate stuff, right? And you see people, a couple in their 60s, who have a 10,000 square foot house with 15 bedrooms and 10 bathrooms and, and all these private luxuries, and they've spent you know, $25 million on this for themselves. I mean, that's, that's really corruption, in my estimation. I mean, it's, it's great for the workers. I mean, the guy's building these things, you know. But it's an indulgence that's really morally problematic. Morally problematic. The 
pursuit of luxury that was really big in our society. Americans lived to enjoy themselves. More and more we become self-absorbed and we become more, it's harder for us to become satisfied too because of that. The last thing that uh, he states in verse 6 is you have condemned, you have murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. It's interesting he points this out. The result really of the hoarding of wealth, the, the withholding of payment, the pursuit of luxury, the results of greed, stinginess, and self-indulgence often will lead to the persecution of the righteous. Because what's the righteous person doing? The righteous person is modeling sobriety, modeling generosity, but also serving as a prophetic voice against the person doing these things. When you look at the biblical text, you see that you have individuals who are the targets of these kind of individuals. Unfortunately, the system in Israel at the time, all the wealth and the money in the country was really held by a few people. And the religious leaders were at the top of that. Not the Pharisees, really. We're talking about the priests, the scribes, those individuals. And they were the ones persecuting Yeshua. We see the, uh, uh, the king, uh, the Herod, challenged by Yochanan the Immerser on morality issues. But I'm sure that taking his sister's, I'm sorry, taking his brother's wife was the least of his morality issues. But of course he loses his head over that. The, the, uh, the, the condemnation of rich people pursuing earthly treasure with these motivational issues, you know, is pretty damning. And hopefully nothing I've read here kind of <laughs> piques your conscience. Hopefully you're not stingy. Hopefully when you go out to eat at a restaurant, you realize that that person is hoping and praying you're going to generously leave a tip. I mean, if they're really a lousy waitress, you don't have to give much of a tip, that's true. But you should give them something, but you should also tell somebody. Okay? Hey, you know, I want you to know, I come to this restaurant, I like it, but that wait person really has some issues. All right, because that'll actually help that person or help the restaurant either way. It's positive, but you know, stinginess. I see believers. You know, I've heard of believers who I've never seen one give a track instead of a tip. That's the stupidest thing in the world. If you're going to give anybody a piece of religious literature after you eat at their restaurant, give it with a double tip. You know, a forty percent tip with a piece of literature about Yeshua. They'll they'll read that. I guarantee you, they will read that. Okay. But we should be known for, for generosity. Generosity, not stinginess. I have no problem if people in our community are, uh, are living in nice, in nice homes. I mean, I don't think, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I'm very happy with my home, although I need a new roof. Okay? There's nothing wrong with living in nice homes and driving nice cars, <laughs> even fast cars. A buddy of mine rented a charger. Oh my goodness. That thing can go fast. It's not a prohibition against nice things, but the motivations make a difference. And I think there is a scale where things tip. You know, if you have so much and you accumulate so much that you don't use and you don't need, that's a problem. You know, in Jewish tradition, if you buy a shirt, you should give away a shirt. To avoid accumulation, unnecessary accumulation of things. You know, I mean, if you, you know, I mean, I listen to Dave Brinker, you know, I mean, it's all about what critical mass. I mean, if you've reached critical mass, 
And I look around the room, I don't see anybody. Maybe Bob's reaching. You know, critical mass is having so much money, you can retire in comfort. Then it's time to start thinking, what can you do to seed into the kingdom of God at a higher rate than just the norm? Hopefully everybody here is giving back to God. A, a portion of what God gives you with, or gives to you. Okay, and you're doing that intentionally and aggressively. But you know what? Uh, you see in guys like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, and really it's Bill Gates who got this started. He woke up one day and said, you know what? I'm going to have so much money, I don't know what to do with. I really would like to invest it into things that are meaningful. Bill Gates is not a believer in Yeshua. At best, I think he's probably some form of pantheist, more than likely. All right? But he has a really good understanding of giving back and investing to help people. You know, as believers in Yeshua, we should have that. It's not about really dying with a bunch of money in the bank. That's really not what it is. It's about living life intentionally to make a difference for our Messiah while we can. So hopefully these things we've talked about here are not you. That you are sharing with others. That you're living a life of generosity. That you are putting others before yourself. And that you are supporting. Instead of attacking the righteous, you're supporting them. These are all things that we should be doing and living out as followers of Messiah Yeshua. Well, I'm going to wrap it up because I know it's late. Uh, and uh, just give the challenge here at the bottom. But I, did, I do believe you have a bunch of verses listed. And feel free to look at those because the verses really are good. And they take and expand the understanding. God wants us to live with His kingdom as our focus. That's really the key. And that's the difference between the, 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 the person being condemned and, and the perspective we're going to talk about next week in, in the book of James. God wants us to always live each day with the perspective of the building up of Messiah's kingdom in this world through our efforts. And money is part of it. How you handle your money shows the reality of your focus. Okay. So first, are you greedy or stingy? And, and if you need some kind of feedback on that, talk to your spouse if you're married or talk to your friends if you're not, okay? They'll tell you whether or not you're stingy because they eat out enough with you and they know when it comes to splitting the bill, they're always trying to get more out of you because you're just, you don't calculate the tax in, you don't calculate the tip in, you forgot about that extra dessert you got. Are you generous or stingy? Be generous. Do you find yourself preoccupied with pursuing your own personal pleasure by buying things you really don't need? That 45th pair of shoes you don't need. You need to have three or four, Matthew. You need at least three or four pieces, pairs of shoes. Does, but this is the real question, the litmus test. Does buying and having give you a high? Does buying and having give you a high? That's something to think about. I hate shopping. There's nothing wrong with shopping. But, but does buying and having give you a high? That might be a trigger that there is some issue there that you need to think about. God, gives, uh, God calls us to be generous with what we have and to share with others. God calls us to put others first before ourselves. God calls us to stretch our faith. By financially giving to Him, God calls us to use our resources to build up His kingdom and to invest in the lives of other people. Think eternity. If you're over the age of 25, you should also be saving at least 5 to 10% of your income in a retirement fund, preferably a Roth, so it's tax... Ex well, anyway, it's better, right? But, 
Besides that public announcement, you need to think eternity with your finances. That's critically important for us as followers of Messiah Show. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for the fact that, that you do provide for us. You bless us. You bless us with our health. You bless us with our resources, our finances. We thank you, God, for that. God, I pray that we would think eternity, that we would be known as being generous people, giving people uh, to others. And uh, just teach us, God, in what ways we need to change and as we need to. And again, we just thank you for all you do for us. We pray this in Yeshua's name.